Welcome to season three of Do Better Research, a learning-focused podcast about research methods. My name is Dr. Suzanne Albury, and I'll be guiding you through research methods to become a better researcher, both for academic study and professional practice. This season, we will be looking in-depth at some new research paradigms, as well as delving deeper into some previous topics. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Angelica Strommeyer, a senior lecturer in Northumbria University's School of Design. Angelica is an interdisciplinary technology researcher whose research is inspired by feminist participatory action research, research through design and creative practice, and lies at the intersection of practice-led and theoretical research surrounding issues of feminist and social justice. Angelica, thank you very much for joining me on the Do Better Research podcast. It's fantastic to have you here. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. It's it's really nice to be here as well. Would you mind introducing yourself briefly for our listeners? Sure. Um, so my name is Angelica Strohmeyer and I am a senior lecturer at Northumbria University's School of Design and co-director of a very, very new um, Design Feminisms Research Group. I'm, I'm really interested in um, feminist and justice-oriented tech and design and, and how that can intersect with craft and textiles and, and research practices more generally. There is a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about in that, but I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna park that because we're, we're going to come to talk about feminist research and feminist research paradigms um, in a bit. So the first thing I'd like to ask you is, what is it you enjoy about research? Quite a lot of different things. Um, I think... At this stage of my career, I really enjoy the varied types of things that it actually ends up being. Um, so I really enjoy the very uh, almost isolating things like writing by yourself, thinking by yourself, thinking through things, but also really, really enjoy working with other people and um, yeah, w- working with other people to think through things and to learn things together and to unlearn a lot of behaviors that we have as well together um so i think it's that that interplay between being able to do things by yourself while also really being able to rely on others and have others rely on you to advance together and to think together that's a really lovely answer and actually you're the first person i've ever asked that said that they really enjoy the isolating aspect of doing research to some extent <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes particularly after you've finished your PhD or after you've done doctoral research, I think it it becomes more collaborative or can become more collaborative to some extent. Yeah, and I I think it depends the kinds of projects you're working on. Um, But my work is often very collaborative. And also, while doing my PhD, I was in quite a busy environment and working with lots of people at the same time and just working alongside other people working on different things. So sometimes it's quite nice to actually close the door. Okay, what am I thinking? Let's try to organize what's inside my head at the moment. It is quite nice to be able to have that that space to do your thing. You you've talked about um doing your PhD and then working on different research projects since since doing uh finishing that. So what has been your favorite research to pro- uh, project that you've worked on and why? Okay, this might not be a surprise to some people who know me, but uh, I worked on a project uh, that we called the Partnership Quilt a couple of years ago. Um, and I'm going to say that was my favourite because it really kick-started a lot of different things. So it was it was during my PhD. I was, I was working with a charity based in the Northeast 
Um, and the project really came about very serendipitously. Um, the staff knew I liked textiles and working with them. Um, and they just mentioned as an offhand comment, almost in a meeting that they were working on this quilting project. Um, and like, I immediately perked up and, and my friend who was in the room as well also immediately perked up and we were both like, how do we get involved with this? Um, what, is, what is the excuse that we need to get involved? Um, so we started working on it from there and that project really built up a really tight relationship that I have with this charity until today. So that was six, seven years ago, I think now. Um, and it's really shaped our shared research trajectory. So the organization and myself, and um, it's shaped how we work, what we work on, um, and how we work together in, in partnership and in, in like true, genuine, um, doing things that are of, of value to, to us in different ways, but equitably. Um, and it's, it's really changed my thinking about research and my thinking about collaborative research and my thinking about what actually is research and what it could be and what it could lead to. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's probably my favorite one then. Some fairly fundamental shifts in your in your approach then. Yeah, which is really weird to say, <laughs> but but I think so. Although I only realized that I think a few years after we finished the project. That reflect that the kind of um, reflection on research in the projects that we do is really important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine doing research without it. Mm. Um, and whether that is. Um, by ourselves, like I said before, um, or with other people. I think both are very different types of reflection and integral to successful, whatever you see as successful as research projects or, or collaborations. You mentioned before that you'd been listening to the episode that I recorded with Helen, Helen Cara. Do you see yourself as a creative methods researcher then? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yes and no. Oh, this is where we're going to get into weird disciplinary things as well. Um, when I when I was doing my PhD, I found out about Helen's work um, and I had her book, The Creative Research Methods. And I read it back to front, front to back. And I thought it was super interesting and useful. But I was also in a department where we regularly used research workshops as a way of doing research. So that is kind of, like a focus group where you bring up a few different types of people together in a room but really heavily activity based and we never called it creative research methods but reading her book kind of made me go oh maybe that's creative research methods but actually it's a slightly different thing so I, I don't know is the short answer a little bit yes a little bit no I wonder if that just comes out of the fact that you like you said it was a department that has always been doing this kind of thing whereas other social sciences based top based research areas schools departments might not necessarily be thinking about it in terms of these kind of workshops but thinking doing very traditional methods using very traditional methods and I, I kind of preface that with their quotations you know the interview the focus group normally for market research you know and someone like Helen's book is offers opportunities for development and expansion of those methods into something a little bit different. But as you said, your department was already doing it, so it's it didn't feel yeah creative. It, it 
I think you're completely right. And it really depends where you're coming from. And I guess I also now, even more than before, have the luxury of being in a design school. Um, so I, I have a social sciences-ish background, um, but I was doing my PhD in a computer science lab. Um, and I'm now in a design school. It's very messed up. Um, <laughs> I'm now in a design school. It all makes sense. It makes you, sense. You're talking to someone um, with a PhD in art history who works in a business school. <laughs> I get it. Um, I swear it all makes sense. Um, so actually, Helen's book was very useful to, for speaking to um, people in social sciences who I was working with very closely. I was supervised by um, partly social sciences, partly um, computing, but even the person in computing I think would not like to be called a computer scientist so um it it's a very messy background but that kind of gives it a real nice grounding to say no you know what actually that there's validity here and this is a way of doing research um but the design being in a design school now really opens up um it's kind of standard practice to do creative approaches to research creative approaches to collaboration um so yes I am a creative research person but now based in a design school which gives it a little bit of a different kind of feeling I think it's just it's so interesting to hear you talk about the different ways that different disciplines have kind of you've touched on or or influenced the work that you do and you're bringing them all together into this much more holistic style of doing research and, and being being a researcher as well I think and that brings us really nicely onto the kind of the, the main point of having you on the, the podcast, which is to ask you about feminist research. So um, what is what is what makes research feminist? What is feminist research? That's uh, a humongous question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the beauty of it is I'm, I'm not going to answer it straight. To me, it means a lot of different things at different levels. So it it means taking into consideration who we are as people and who everyone we're working with are as people and as kind of whole people, um, not just as the person I'm doing an interview with for a research project, but that that person actually has a whole, is a whole person. Um, and that whatever identity or work practice or whatever I'm interviewing them for is only one part of, of who they are as a whole person. Um, Similarly with me and, and my colleagues as well. Um, so taking people in as whole people and acknowledging that we have standpoints and that's kind of has a long history in, in feminist research is the standpoint theory um, of, I hope I don't butcher this, but like acknowledging that we all have different standpoints and that that standpoint comes into our research and it's not necessarily a bias, but it's an integral part to what it is we do. Um, so just earlier I was speaking to a colleague and we were going through data analysis of some transcripts that we have from a workshop um, and we were going, right, we're reading this workshop transcript through a lens and it's important to to talk through what that lens actually is and what that lens means because it shapes what we talk about and how we think about things. Um, so that's kind of one part of it. For me, another part is also really acknowledging the power dynamics that are always at play um, and seeing them, mentioning them, talking about them, um, bringing them into the research process. And that is in relation to kind of researcher participant as much as within the academic hierarchies that we all exist in. 
Um, so, you know, making sure that colleagues I work with are respected and paid for their work where possible, um, as quickly as possible. <laughs> um, um, and, you know, having collegiate welcoming environments to work in um, as much as environments where there is criticality amongst us in a respectful, caring way. Um, so, yeah, building up those environments of criticality that is carefully critical, if that makes sense. Critical in its like true sense of what do you mean? What are you thinking about this? Like, have you heard of this other perspective on this in a, in a genuine sense? Um, yeah, I've probably forgotten a lot of things but those, those are quite integral to me. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, the, the research group um, we're setting up in the school is called Design Feminisms in Plural. And that's, that's very intentional because there are just so many different perspectives to feminist research. And I don't know all of them. I will never know all of them. Um, but part of that process of actually learning about them and figuring them out and figuring out who you are as a, as a feminist and as a researcher and as a person um, I think it's really integral to that as well. I think that's really interesting. It's a really important point what you said there around feminist research isn't one thing. It's not one homogenous perspective or paradigm. It, there, it's an, almost like an umbrella term for many different approaches to research yeah. or many different approaches to, as you say, criticality. But they all kind of fall under feminist research, but they are not all the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Just like there are so many different types of feminist theory um mm. and yeah I obviously don't know all of them and I'm likely to never know and understand all of them I think the important thing is just is one to acknowledge that but also to say that that's not a bad thing no not at all that's a fantastic thing <laughs> it's, um it's I think it really gives us opportunity to to examine power structures and to examine oppressions and to examine different ways of doing things and appreciating that there are lots of different perspectives and lots of different ways of doing things. Yeah, I think there's quite an old paper now. I think it's from around 2010 um, by and Barzell. Um, and it's, I don't remember the full title of it, but it's called something like Feminist HCI, which is human-computer interaction, which is this kind of subdiscipline that I often write in. And she kind of tried to pull together what that what feminisms would mean for for our discipline and she's she's wonderful she's written really wonderful things since then as well um to really get nuanced more nuanced understandings and, and ways of doing things but she split it up into kind of critique and generation generative um implications through our research project so either we can critique existing things and say you know maybe we need to think about this in a bit more. Here's a more nuanced position on it, but we can also generate new things. Um, and so in our discipline, that might be designing new technologies or designing new ways of designing technologies um, or thinking about a new topic that we haven't talked about yet and, and thinking a bit more pragmatically or um, creating something new from it in a feminist way, which, which I always think is quite a nice it's not really a binary because you need both, but it's quite a nice way of thinking about it in these two slightly different but connected ways of, of understanding what theory can do. That's a really nice way of making explicit that it's not just about critiquing what's come before. Because a lot of criticisms I come across about feminism is too busy sort of harking on around 
what came before and critiquing those things. But actually, it's not just about that. It's about understanding what came before in order to create something better, new, different for the future. Yeah, you can't. I, I always think like you can't really change something unless you know what's wrong with it. Mm. And you need to know what's wrong with things to make them better. Um, and there's lots of examples of where things have gone wrong in the past and continue to go wrong now. Um, so if if you want to create kind of a more utopian world or a world where, you know, that is truly feminist, you need to know how we can do that and what kind of mistakes to learn from and adapt our actions to based on that learning. It sounds like in order to be a feminist researcher, there's almost a necessity necessity to be quite interdisciplinary I think probably I think others would disagree quite strongly probably but yeah I think for me working at the intersections of so many different disciplines has really opened my eyes to the value of feminist thought and the value of feminist ways of being Um, and it's kind of given me permission to do a lot of the things that I do and to see research in the way that I see it Um, because it it's kind of a a theory and a practice that allows you to fight back to a lot of things in research that I always thought were a bit like I couldn't I didn't know what made me feel weird about it or or what it was and feminist thought just kind of gave me a language and practices to not repeat some of the harmful things that I've seen or, or heard about it seems like being a feminist researcher or being uh, using feminist theory is not about applying a framework, but about embodying almost the lived experience of different types of feminist experiences, understanding and viewing the world through that lens, not just viewing a piece of re- a, a participant or a um, transcript or a piece of research or a data, a data, some data can never remember whether it's singular or plural it's fine um but about actually sort of that that fuller picture that fuller lived experience both of the researcher and of those people that you're working with to create knowledge and participants i think so because it kind of asks you to think about the power structures that are at play and that the the different systems that are at play and um often when you're thinking about um you know, societal concerns or or issues that people are facing, when you kind of take a step back and look at the system and the context that they're all that we're all operating in, it's much easier to say, oh, actually, hang on, this very specific issue someone's having is actually linked to poverty. It's actually linked to um, food insecurity or or whatever like big issue it is. And that can be really powerful. Um, Because it takes that responsibility away from an individual and actually puts it on on systems and um, gives you space where you can kind of have those wider conversations around um, systems change that we need in the world. And it's not just about us as individuals uh, making a change, but actually it's about kind of positions of power and people in powerful positions having to to adapt their mindset or having to... um, put different policies in place and, and or enact certain policies that are already exist mm. one of the things that i think we're beginning to be better at is realizing that there is societal cultural national international impact on the individual so we might say that you know 
a group of people are having this problem but as you said that step back and saying well this problem is actually indicative of a wider in a set of inequalities or a wider structural problem and yeah. as you say almost taking that blame off those individuals and not putting it somewhere else but realizing that there are mitigating circumstances outside of other people individuals control yeah absolutely and that there are people or institutions or people in institutions usually because institutions are not people um, but they are led by people who have power to make change um, and that instead of trying to you know make a single person who can't really control a lot of their circumstances um, like taking taking the action to a person who actually has power to make a change mm. um, and knowing where to pinpoint that and yeah feminist thought has helped me understand that and kind of find avenues of, of doing that in different ways so if we've got some doctoral researchers listening to this or some sort of early career researchers who are interested in understanding feminist research paradigms how do you become a feminist researcher find other people who are asking similar questions i think might be a good place to start because for me, like being a, a feminist researcher or, or a feminist academic is very much a, a work in progress um, and something that is never going to be finished. Like a, a huge tenet of it is this continuous learning and discovery and, and uncovering things that have, exist and, and need to be thought about. Um, so find others who are asking similar questions and talk to them and discuss and be critical with other people. Um, and that can be other PhD students, other early career people. It can sometimes be more senior people. Um, and it is always very useful to have people who ha well wield some power in your departments on board um, and do include them if, if possible. But um, there's also a lot of power in kind of collective thinking and solidarity and finding and building those networks of solidarity, I think is really, really important. Um, and has been incredibly important for me. And finding those, those people in your circles and in your discipline and in your networks uh, is incredibly powerful. Talking to people, and of course, reading. Um, <laughs> reading together, reading so by you, yourself. You mentioned one also um, earlier in the podcast, and I will... I will go back and I will make a note of that person's name and I will put some uh, their name and things in the show notes. But <laughs> is there any other kind of almost seminal work, seminal reading that you would suggest or any other authors that you think might be a great place to start? Oof, that's so hard because it's so topic related. I mean, there, there's always like the big names, of course, but this has been probably one of the most important things I've read in the last couple of months has been A Decolonial Feminism by Françoise Verger, I think is how to pronounce it. Her book, it's, it's quite short. Um, it's a good read. It's, it's a relatively straightforward read. Yeah, that just unpicks the, the relationship of coloniality and modernity and, and feminism and does a really fantastic job of of linking up coloniali co colonialism and white feminism. And I, I mean, Alison Phipps in, in that relation is also fantastic. Um, Alison Phipps's Me, Not You, um, The Trouble with Mainstream Feminism is also, again, a really clear read that's 
directly aimed at white women to and like I think it starts with something like um you know this this book is will not say anything new to people who know about black feminist thought and who know about intersectionality but it really kind of points towards the issues of, of white feminism as a as a the politically white not necessarily just skin color but yeah of like the oppressions of racism and, and how feminism plays into that and it gets really really messy <laughs> um, so it's you know it's not always just being like that's what I mean with um, feminism is that kind of ongoing learning is really uh, figuring out all the harms it has caused as well because um, it's it's not just um, all nice and and lovely I think I think good reflexivity good reflection is messy it is and I think doing it right is supposed to feel in some ways uncomfortable in order to get you out of your comfort zone in order to do better do more you know move forward effectively yeah absolutely like the discomfort um that comes along with that as well I think Mm. is incredibly important and especially as a as a white woman as I am um there's a lot of things I should be uncomfortable about and sitting with that discomfort is important, but then acknowledging it and changing based on that is kind of part of that process. Um, and yeah, I mean, Kimberly Crenshaw's work, of course, <laughs> intersectionality. I mean, like there are so many uh, names, but um, yeah, I think in the last year or so, I've I've really read a lot of, feminist theory that sits outside my usual reading and outside my usual like discipline and little collective of weird things that fit together in my head and yeah just just reading non-western feminisms it's incredibly important I think um and as a European woman very importantly uncomfortable Angelica, thank you so much for that conversation. It was really interesting. I I look forward to releasing this to the world. (laughs) No, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me.